Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. This week's episode is brought to you by the Recover Clinic. So many of us treat and talk to ourselves critically, but that internal narrative hasn't come from nowhere. We weren't born thinking about ourselves and behaving in that punishing way. We came into this world full of joy and wonder with courage, compassion, and creativity at our core. Somewhere along the way, we lost that. The Recover Clinic has been a leading treatment provider for eating disorders since 2004 because they know that unresolved trauma is the root cause of that unwell voice and that eating disorders are our response to that trauma. Developed as a means of coping with the shame and pain we feel within when our experiences haven't been validated and we haven't been taught how to deal with them in any other way. Their unique approach looks beyond the presenting symptoms and helps clients to strive for more than just managing their eating disorder. It guides them towards a freer future, provides a safe space to be seen and heard, uncovers who they really are, and encourages them to embrace that individual in all areas of their life. Their 12-week recovery program explores how past wounds could be impacting your relationship with food and self today, and supports you to develop a transformational self-caring toolkit featuring clinical and nutritional masterclasses, live Q&As and guest workshops, all designed to empower you to finally say goodbye to your eating disorder and hello to who you are always meant to be. Visit therecoverclinic.co.uk slash edprogram. That's the recoverclinic.co.uk slash edprogram to learn more today. And the link is in the show notes. So today I'm speaking to Amber Omaniak, who is a returning guest to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Amber is an emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert who helps professional women achieve optimal health through mindful eating, self-care and overcoming self-sabotage with food. Her podcast, the No Sugar Coating Podcast, has a million downloads, over 300 episodes and is listened to in over 88 countries. And she was featured on TV personality Whitney Port's podcast and has also appeared on local TV 50 times in the last three years alone. Amber overcame her own emotional eating after gaining and losing more than a thousand pounds and spending over $50,000 on binge foods and spending five years balancing her hormones and digestion. Now she helps others achieve body freedom so they have the confidence and health to create amazing lives. If you want to hear Amber's recovery story, do listen to her previous episode on this podcast, and the link to that is in the show notes. In this episode, Amber is going to explore how emotional eating impacts our hormones. This is a fascinating episode which will empower and educate you to think about emotional eating in a whole new way. I want to mention that Amber is not an advocate of the all foods fit model, which I lean towards in my own eating disorder recovery treatment with my clients. So you might be hearing an alternative perspective from the messages that you might have heard on this podcast before. 
However, I'm a firm believer that there is no one-size-fits-all approach, and I know that you're going to gain some valuable insights and learning from this episode. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Amber. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so glad to be here with you. (laughs) Yeah, well, great to have you. So Amber, for those of you who, those people who don't know you already, could you introduce yourself, please, to the listeners? Yeah. So of course, my name is Amber Romaniak and I'm an emotional eating digestive and hormone expert. And I support women all over the world to help heal, you know, their binging, binging and purging, emotional eating, and then all the hormone and gut imbalances, the body love, taking the focus off weight loss and onto safety. And I find as women do this, you know, they really heal for good. They finally address the root issues, the limiting beliefs, the physical symptoms, And the really cool thing about it is, is as the body feels safer and we fill that void, any protection just like falls off without even having to focus on it because we're addressing the safety, the love, the connection. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amber, for sharing that. And obviously you were on the podcast a few months ago, weren't you? So I just want to kind of say to all the listeners, if you want to hear about Amber's story and more about the kind of work that she is doing, please go back and I will link that episode in the show notes because I know that's been one of our really popular episodes and definitely worth listening to. Yes, it was so good. Yeah, no, brilliant. No, it was great having you on, Amber, and just so nice to have you back. So thank you. My pleasure. So Amber, today you're going to be sort of educating us more about hormones and emotional eating. Is that right? Yes, this is such a huge connection. And obviously we have not been educated on this, but people don't realize what a significant connection hormones have with our behaviors with food. Mm, for sure. So Amber, like starting like right at the beginning, I guess, for people that are really new to this, can you explain a bit more as well about what is a hormone and how they kind of work in the body? Of course. So of course, and of course, they're a little bit different for, you know, a male versus female, because we, of course, as women have progesterone, but hormones are essentially chemical messengers in the body and they are fatty like substances. And so this is why I'm a huge like supporter of like healthy fats, you know, eating healthy fats and making sure that we're our vitamin D levels and things like that are good because it all really impacts the hormones. And of course they travel through your bloodstream, your tissues, your organs. And they are, of course, they play a significant role in everything, your mood, your metabolism, your energy levels, your digestive health, your cravings, your blood sugar, like so many different things. Thank you for that, Amber. So I'm aware, like, this is like a massive topic, isn't it? And, you know, yeah. not knowing where to start really, but I guess, you know, for many of the listeners, they're struggling with disordered eating, eating disorders. So yeah. can you sort of like explain, you know, some of the common ways that hormones get disrupted when someone is experiencing disordered eating symptoms? Yeah, definitely. So I'll kind of break down some of the most common imbalances that I see when someone is in some form of emotional relationship with food. So, and I went through this too, and this is really how I learned about it. And then like every single woman, so like over 1500 women, the last nine years have all had hormone imbalances. So if you're thinking, well, I probably don't have any, well, you know, it's always good to get them checked because you don't know until you really see. And I find with like 
testing, like the range is actually too big. And so you can have symptoms and imbalances in the normal range. So it's always good to get like a really holistic view of it, but the most common things that I see. So obviously when we're in a state of, you know, emotional eating, binging restriction, whatever it is, it's very stressful on the body. So your nervous system is very overwhelmed and the more overwhelmed our nervous system is from overbooked schedules, binging, restricting, right. Dieting, you know, being hard on your body, negative self-talk, you put yourself into a stress response and you produce more cortisol and cortisol is the stress hormone. So normally for most of my clients, I see that they have too high of cortisol or too low. And if it's high, that means the body's probably been in a stress response for quite some time. And common signs of high cortisol are things like abdominal weight gain, troubles, losing weight, feeling more water retention, more puffy, like your rings are fitting tighter on your fingers, brain fog, low energy, no matter how much you sleep, you're not rested. Afternoon energy lulls, more salt and sugar craving. So here we go with emotional eating triggers. I find that when people are tired, they're in more of an, I don't care mentality and that triggers emotional eating or binges. And when we have more cravings that are amplified, right, that can fuel and become a trigger as does the more irregular, you know, higher, lower cortisol is the more it impacts the blood sugar. So our appetite levels can really be impacted and we can be I find a lot more hungry and you can be like, you know what? I just ate, but how come I'm still feeling hungry? And part of it could be the high cortisol. I had the highest cortisol I've ever seen in my nine years of practice, even still to this day. And my appetite level, like I could not eat enough. And part of it was because of this extreme irregularity with my cortisol. And to put it into perspective, I find a nice number here anyway, North America is like 350 and mine was 2000. So just, you know, goes to show you the level of imbalance that can become created from overeating restriction and then going to the gym and punishing yourself, you know, six, seven days a week of cardio can really throw all this out of whack. So that's like the first part I see is the cortisol. And then I see a couple other things. Do you want me to go into those two? Yeah. Go into them okay. all and then we can come back Sounds to good. them in more detail. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So then what ends up happening is if we have high cortisol long enough, the adrenal glands, which are two walnut shaped glands in the middle of the back that produce the cortisol, they start to get really fatigued. And then what ends up happening is the body has to start to steal other hormones to convert into cortisol, to keep you in this high state of fight or flight stress response. So then what I start to see happening for a lot of women is their body will actually pull thyroid hormones and really the stress response really impacts the pituitary gland, which produces our thyroid stimulating hormone, which is one of our thyroid hormones that keeps us functioning, right? Our metabolism and our metabolism is a huge part of our thyroid. And so all of a sudden, if people are like skipping meals, skipping breakfast, have high cortisol, it really can suppress the thyroid. And then the thyroid can become underactive. And that means it's sluggish or slow. And when this happens, we end up, some of the most common symptoms are easy weight gain really feels difficult to lose because obviously your metabolism is slowing down. You lack a hunger signal. So if you never feel hungry or especially in the morning, skipping breakfast, because you think, well, I'm not hungry. I don't need to eat. That's actually sabotaging your thyroid, your metabolism and your blood sugar. And I find with my clients, once they start eating, you know, through the day regularly, they're hungry signal comes back because they're waking their thyroid back up, cold hands and feet, eyebrow thinning, hair loss, feeling really sluggish in the morning, but then energy comes through the day cravings for salt. So we crave a lot of salt when we have a thyroid imbalance because our body's hoping if we eat salt, we're going to reach for like seaweeds, which are rich in minerals and iodine and going to help with thyroid function. But usually we don't, we would reach for the chips or the heavily salted, refined salted foods, which actually just suppress things more. 
So those are some really common signs of thyroid imbalance, also constipation, heavy constipation is a sign of that as well. But essentially, you know, when we have this imbalance going on, women just describe to me that they don't feel like themselves. If we're feeling sluggish and we have all these symptoms, again, this can trigger emotional eating or whatever's going on for you, because there's this emotional reaction to my body, not working properly. Why, why can't I lose weight? Why do I always have cold hands and feet? Why don't I have a hunger signal? And, and when we don't know what's going on, it just, it triggers a lot of emotional frustration and then we can be in frustration, which of course is the trigger to eat. And then we suppress it with food. So the problem is, is any form of restriction, emotional eating, binging, et cetera, really has a negative impact on the thyroid because the more in all or nothing, all in having to be perfect on my diet or all out, you know, losing control and eating a bunch of things that are fueling inflammation inflammation suppresses the thyroid and makes all of our hormones worse. And so everything I've just described fuels it, but also dehydration, overeating, undereating, not getting enough sleep, overbooked schedules, gut imbalances, eating a lot of processed foods aside, you know, instead of having balance where the body can tolerate it, this all fuels inflammation and inflammation shows up in the signs of swelling, redness, heat, or pain. So if you're retaining a lot of water, I always say like the body can retain anywhere from five to 20 pounds of water. And so people are like, oh, how come I, I was up five, now I'm down five. And it's like, mm, it's probably just water retention based on a lot of different factors. If you find you have a autoimmune and certain things, you know, make it worse. or you have chronic pain, eczema, skin breakouts. These are all signs of inflammation. And so inflammation suppresses the thyroid. And it's so important for us to not only work on balancing the thyroid, but to look at the inflammatory picture in the body, because it is impacting all these other things that I've been talking about. And then the last piece that I find and I could go like there's other snippets, but the last big piece for women is that I find it really impacts our sex hormones. So progesterone and estrogen. So after the cortisol has been stealing all these other hormones, it can steal your progesterone to convert into cortisol. And so I find a lot of my clients either have horrible menopause symptoms or they have horrible PMS. They have irregular cycles. So a good sign your progesterone is low is if you have a less than 25 day cycle, your bleed is only three to four days max. And, or you're having months where you're not even getting your period and, or you're having struggles getting pregnant or with fertility. These are all signs of low progesterone in order to produce a beautiful, like 28 day to like 36 day cycle, which is a healthy, normal kind of window and having a five to seven day healthy bleed. We do need adequate progesterone levels. Also if progesterone is low. Again, we can feel really puffy, retain more water. Our mood can be really impacted. We can have more brain fog. And the other picture that I see a lot that I went through personally, I was not binge eating anymore. However, the years of binging had a significant impact on my hormones. So I had the high cortisol, I had the underactive, low functioning thyroid, and then I had the low progesterone. And what ends up happening is we want to see progesterone and estrogen be pretty even keel to have a healthy cycle and just have them be in harmony with the rest of your body. However, if progesterone starts to drop, sometimes estrogen has no choice but to go up and dominate, which means it gets too high. And when this happens, it can really, oh, we really don't feel like ourselves. And so when you have really high estrogen, you can have really tender breasts for days or weeks leading up to your period. Again, if you're in menopause, the hot flashes are crazy, right? You're always having to open the window, even the winter time. Again, there can be a lot of swelling and water retention. I find with high estrogen too, weight gain is so easy and loss really difficult, if not feeling next to impossible, because there's so much 
estrogen in the body that ideally is not supposed to be there, that it really just puts a pause to our metabolism. And again, the more estrogen we have in the body, the more inflamed we are. So that puffiness I was talking about earlier, and I went through this, I was like, I'm not binging anymore. How come I'm gaining weight like crazy? And then I discovered this estrogen dominance and it wasn't through a blood test. It was through a saliva test. So sometimes we have to do different kinds of testing because not everything always shows up on blood. And so if you're having symptoms, but you're like, I don't feel like it's showing here, you know, listen to that gut instinct and always do other investigation. And I always do that with my clients because we want to get all the answers. So essentially we see this whole kind of trifecta of imbalances that starts with one hormone and then can potentially domino out into the other. I'd say about 60% of my clients have everything I've just talked about. And then the other 40, it might be like, just cortisol or cortisol and thyroid or, you know, estrogen dominance and cortisol. So I usually see like a couple things, but those are some of the most common hormone imbalances. And then what they do is they can deplete your B vitamins, which are your energy vitamins. They can deplete your iron and magnesium, which are important minerals for the body for sleep and energy as well. So we see, you know, like I said, this domino effect, Harriet, and how it can really impact our well-being, our mood. And if we feel off, we're more vulnerable to self-sabotage with food because we are in more of a, I don't care mentality or we're upset with our bodies because they're not functioning the way we want them to. Gosh, well, thank you for just explaining that. And I just think what just really struck me as you're talking through it, just the absolute domino effect, like how it does yeah. start with one thing, doesn't it? But then it really sort of trickles quite quickly into affecting all these different hormones and then just how hard that can feel, I guess, to sort of like escape from that really and how trapped, you know, one can get in those cycles. Yeah. And it does, it really has a significant impact on our emotional health if we don't know what's going on or why. And then if you also don't have a healthcare practitioner who's advocating for it and you're just going, oh, you're too young to have these imbalances. Oh, that's just normal for you to have horrible PMS. Oh, your menopause is normal. Oh yeah. You're, you just have to accept as you age, quote unquote, that you're going to gain weight. You're not going to be able to lose it. Like that aging, you're just going to have more symptoms and your body's going to fail you. Like I personally believe that those are the worst limiting beliefs that you could plant in anyone's head because I've worked with women from 21 to 79 and help them balance these things. And it's a mindset behavior shift. It's that to me is just such a cop-out to like blame everything on age or like lineage. So I can't change it. You can change it. We just have to address the root issues physically, mentally, and emotionally. Mm. And you said that often like the cortisol imbalance, that's probably the most common one, is it? And almost perhaps the starting point for many people that they're kind of like their nervous systems almost in overwhelm and overdrive and they're sort of almost flooded with cortisol which is producing a lot of these imbalances you are right if you think about it it's so easy nowadays to throw it off right like you get cut off in traffic and it's pumping and you don't sleep well and then you you know you have an overbooked day week month or you're a people pleaser so you're constantly saying yes to everyone else and no to yourself you're needing to prove yourself and try and be perfect because you've got to show the world that you're good enough because you need validation and and so when we're in all these you know behaviors that are stemmed from unworthiness and insecurity. Plus we're in self-sabotage with food. Plus we're picking our bodies apart. Plus we're trying to like, you know, push our bodies in the gym. And then, you know, we're cutting out certain foods or skipping breakfast and then have all these imbalances going on. Like it seems so innocent, but it all of a sudden really fuels this fire of imbalance. And then, you know, 
people just wonder why they continue to feel worse and worse and worse, but are not necessarily educated or directed on how to address these issues and how to, you know, work through them. Like I would say probably only about 40% of my clients in the past when we would ask for testing would actually get it. Otherwise they were met with all these reasons why the, it couldn't be done. And so I've been able to like find, you know, people who can do it for me for them and, or, you know, source places that I don't have that barrier anymore, just because we need those answers. Yes. It's very important to number one, work on healing your relationship with food and learning how to love and connect with your body. But we also want you to have optimal energy and mental clarity and a good memory and a healthy cycle and all these other things. And so instead of just going on Google and typing in your symptoms and self-diagnosing and going on supplements that may or may not actually help, you know, we want to see the numbers. We want to see the specific imbalances because just like I innocently went through at the time and I was the one on Google before I knew all of this, right? Actually certain supplements I were taking were hurting certain hormones whilst they were supposed to help others. And that's actually one of the ways I messed my hormones up more. So that's also why I think it's important to try to not go on Google and figure it out yourself because we can sometimes cause some oopses to happen. Yeah, I know the, the dangers of self-diagnosis and <laughs> yeah. self-treatment. Yeah. Mm. So Amber, like, where do you start then as well? You know, if you come back with this like really high reading, maybe, you know, noticing your hormones are just really out of whack, you know, where's the starting point to begin to reverse some of this? Yeah. So essentially after test results come back, I thoroughly reviewed them with the client because I, I want you to understand what's going on and why rather than like, oh yeah, this is high. And this is what we're going to do. Like, why is it high? Right. So we look at all the different areas that are probably causing the imbalance to keep getting worse. So the first thing is, you know, affirming like, okay, we're going to really work on you healing your relationship with food because it's causing a lot of stress in your body, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And then we will talk about different foods, teas, spices, and self-care tools, nervous system calming tools, you know, like breath and tapping meditation, different things that are going to help to regulate the nervous system. Then we'll look at the schedule and go, okay, where do we want to start setting healthy boundaries? Like actually stop and take your lunch break and eat mindfully without distraction. Start saying no, when you want to say no, instead of yes. And there's some worthiness to work to do there, making sure there's, you know, a self-care window for people to start dedicating time to themselves outside of, you know, their hectic schedule, because that's, you know, what I find a lot of people say is I'm just so busy, but part of the busyness can be a distraction from wanting to feel and address emotions, right? So there's those kind of like behavioral emotional pieces. And then it's going, okay, like let's maybe do a couple of specific supplements to help if something's extremely out of whack. Like sometimes to be honest, foods just don't cut it. Self-care doesn't just cut it. Like if we want to see things change in a reasonable amount of time and the client is open, sometimes one or two key supplements can significantly help whilst we make the lifestyle changes, heal the relationship with food, have a more manageable See, here's a big one that some people get really triggered about is exercise. So if your cortisol is through the roof, intensive cardio, hit training and working out five or six days a week, especially in the morning is actually one of the worst things you can do for high cortisol because this cortisol reading is the highest in the morning. And if we're then getting up, going to the gym, working out really hard, it can actually keep, make it rising. And then you can be gaining weight or feeling more puffy or fatigued and tired. And you're, you know, you're not noticing your health getting better. And you've been conditioned to think, okay, I've got to exercise this much to lose or maintain weight. However, based on our hormone health picture, we may want to make some temporary changes to help out the hormones. Otherwise, sometimes they won't change. 
And so I'm not saying you have to stop, but it's just being, having an open mind and going, okay, if this is actually, you know, if, if my need to work out five or six days a week is coming from fear, fear of losing control with my body, fear of weight gain, right. That's actually not from love. And that's not from a mindful approach. So this is where we want to work on getting rid of any limiting beliefs around like that. I have to move my body to lose or maintain weight. And that actually sometimes resting is more of an act of self-love. And then I can get out for a walk or I can stretch or I can, you know, shorten the length of my movement to just help. And then once things balance out, I can, if I want to, I can go a little bit more intensive again and see how my body responds. And I know, like I said, some people can be triggered by that. However, I've had these discussions with clients and said, Hey, if you can keep going and see what happens and then it gets worse and then they're upset. And I said, okay, well now are you willing to slow it down now that you have more of an affirmation that that's one of the things that was making it worse. And then they do. And then some clients are like, okay, I'll slow down right away. Cause they really want to make the change. But again, when we have limiting beliefs, sometimes it can take time to really buy into it. Mm, sure. And what strikes me with this as well, it's quite a sort of chicken and egg process, isn't it? Because I'm almost thinking, I think, sadly, in our Western culture, we tend to live in a very strivey, fight, flight, overstimulated nervous system place anyway, don't we? That's almost like very celebrated in our culture. And then often then people will be using disordered eating behaviors as a way of kind of coping with that stress which then puts another layer of stress on, you know, it's almost like a maladaptive, isn't it? Self-soothing strategy. Yeah. And it just strikes me just kind of how hard it is to untangle some of this, but just hearing what you're saying there about a lot of these behavioral interventions, like, you know, having healthy boundaries, doing self-care, doing breathing, resting more, you know, one's putting one's nervous system isn't on you sort of back into that sort of self-soothing place where you're going to hopefully what be producing more sort of oxytocin and feeling more calm, more content, more kind of stable in your physiology. A hundred percent. And that's, you just, you brought up a great point. So the more we ground and regulate our nervous system with getting enough sleep, hydration, self-care, mindful eating, the boundaries, all these things we've been talking about, the better your gut health and you produce serotonin in the gut. And that is one of your feel good hormones that gives you a steady mood versus dopamine being a massive hit and then a massive drop. Right? So the more we regulate all of this, the easier it is for our body to produce the serotonin and you have a more level mood. And then you're far less likely to want to go to self-sabotaging behavior with food to soothe, to get a big dopamine hit. You're far less likely to want to people please to chase validation from others. And the validation is actually the reward that gives you the dopamine hit you know, instead of the giving to myself and having balance, which keeps that mood more steady. So this is where balance and really mastering balance in your world. And it looks a bit different for everyone is so powerful because then, yeah, we're the tie or the urge to go to food really falls away because we see, wow, like that actually doesn't feel good anymore. That's not serving a purpose. It's causing more harm than good. And of course, the switch flips at a different time for everybody. And we have to just be very patient and compassionate and forgiving with ourselves. If this is where we're at, because I know for a lot of women that I talk to and my clients, when they start thinking about making themselves a priority, the guilt comes in so intensively and the guilt can feel so uncomfortable for them to feel and work through and let go of that it will sometimes shut them down from wanting to make themselves a priority because they're like, it's too uncomfortable to feel the guilt. But I'm like, well, you've got to be willing to work through it and let go of it so that you can, you know, heal these things ideally, because 
one of the reasons that we need to do this is because we want you to let go of guilt that you are worthy of prioritizing yourself just as much as your family, your work, your, your career, whatever it is, because if you continue to have the guilt, well, guess what? If you're not, you know, working through it in your self-care routine, you're going to then end up going back to food and suppressing it there anyway. Mm, I think that's such a great point, actually, because I think you're absolutely right that dealing with the guilt for many people is almost just so painful, isn't it? That Mm, it almost prevents them being able to take the steps they need to take to do the self-care. Yes, it definitely is a big shutdown. And that's that ego, that negative voice in the mind that's like, you're not worthy for this. Like you should be taking care of your family. Like you should be working. Like you have emails to get to you're behind. Like you don't have time to stop. And we let, when we let that voice lead us, we stay in these behaviors. And that voice is a huge cause of our hormone issues and our sabotage with food. Because like you said, in Western culture, the hustle, go, go, go. Oh, I'm so busy and overbooked mentality has been praised and unfortunately is a huge reason why Western culture is so, you know, not well in a lot of Mm. senses, right? So Mm. we must deal with that ego negative voice that's been so programmed and just slowly pick away at shifting it and going, you know, it's safe to take care of myself. It's safe to make myself a priority. Even if I'm just starting with five minutes, it's not about extreme changes because if you try to go extreme, you will be met with more resistance, right? And that's where more of the guilt can come up. But if you just go slowly, I find it's easier to make changes that are like more realistic and more, you know, long lasting than if you try to make a bunch of big changes at once. Mm, yeah no it's definitely going for the underwhelming baby steps isn't it that's sustainable yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah rather than jumping yeah trying to do too much too quickly well yeah and it's uncomfortable right like if you think of it if you're in this comfort zone of like my comfort zone is being overbooked is not making myself a priority is suppressing my emotions with food tv mindless scrolling on social media right is focusing on weight and weighing in and and being in the gym and restricting like if these are your comfort zones and then you consider looking you know to some middle ground and you think of making a ton of changes at once like we want to just shut down and not do anything versus if it's like okay i'm going to start with becoming more aware of what's triggering me to emotionally eat or i'm going to start to like dedicate a bit more time for myself or go to bed a bit earlier. Like, and then we start to build on these small habits. We build a strong foundation and we also start to build confidence in ourselves that we can actually change it versus if you're going on an extreme diet, if you're like, okay, I've got to work out six days a week and burn this many calories. I've got to like completely like, you know, think this way now or behave this way now, or completely set all the boundaries this week, you know, it's just, it can cause more stress and we don't need that. So be gentle, be gentle, especially if you're in a perfectionist all or nothing mentality, you're going to want to go all in on this. Try not to though, because it may not get you where you want to go. Mm, yeah, no, so very true. And I just think, you know, everyone listening, just really take this message on board because of that guilt is so damaging, isn't it? And I think yeah. if we can start to dilute that a little bit or like listen to it less and take those baby steps of self-care, just, you know, it's so empowering and so much potential for change and just improving our well-being. Yeah. And what I always remind people is this is your well-being. This is your body. This is the body that's taking you through life. And at the end of the day, if you're not well, it's a lot more of a struggle or difficult to show up to assist in in the areas of life, you know, aside from you. And so obviously you want to feel good in your body. You, you want to have the stable mood. You want to be free of your physical symptoms. You want to heal the relationship with food, et cetera, because when you feel good and connected and worthy, 
the way you show up in the world is completely different. And that has a positive, significant impact on the collective. Mm, Yeah. And it's a very true. So Amber, could you say a little bit more as well? You were saying about kind of almost this kind of dopamine hits and then Mm -hmm. drops and how we can get a bit kind of almost like maybe a bit addicted or kind of pulled into that, perhaps particularly if our hormones are unregulated, like our stable kind of physiology isn't great. So then we start to rely on the kind of dopamine hit to sort of pick us up. And could you say a little bit more about that? Totally. Because a big response that I get from people is like so many other things in my life aren't working properly. This is one of the only things that brings me joy. And where that comes from is like you said, the physical symptoms are, you know, maybe really difficult to deal with and being tired. And if you're gaining weight and you're feeling disconnected from your body and you're disappointed because you self-sabotaged again, right. you failed on your diet and you look at your schedule and you're, it's so overbooked. It makes you want to cry. And then, well, what do we do? We want to look for an instant gratification, pick me up. And that's where dopamine comes in. And that is really the addictive hit you know, neurotransmitter chemical versus serotonin is the steady, you know, as I change these habits, I'm steady in my mood behaviors, et cetera. And so what ends up happening is every time we have used food to give us a pleasure high, right? That dopamine hit pleasure high bliss response. We store a memory in the brain. That's like, Oh, well, when I feel this way, I eat this. And then I feel better. I feel this euphoria. Unfortunately though, what ends up happening is the more we do that and the more, you know, we keep getting these dopamine hits, the more we have to actually eat or consume these processed foods like sugar, salt, et cetera to keep getting a bigger dopamine hit to get the same pleasure response. And then of course, the bigger dopamine hit we get, the bigger the drop. So then we have a drop in mood. We have a drop in energy. Obviously it's impacted the hormones more depending on the quantity of food that we're eating. And then we have to deal with the guilt, the disappointment, the anger of going through the self-sabotage of food against We're we're literally chasing this extreme high, this bliss pleasure. And then it drops really low because the dopamine high itself to me doesn't last very long. It's maybe only a few minutes maybe five to 10, maybe 15 at most before then we're plummeting and then have the opposite reaction. So it's not just with food though. So if you are a people pleaser and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this project perfectly for this person. And then hopefully I'll, you know, you're putting your worth in this other person. And you're like, I, oh, I hope I, they tell me that I'm a good person because I've done this. And then you're literally chasing your worth forever because you do this thing for this person. You throw your health under the bus. You didn't take care of yourself to take care of this project. And then you're holding out for the moment where you do, you give it to them or whatever it is. And then they're like, Oh, thank you. You're such a great person. Or you did such a good job with this. You literally waited for that moment and you get a huge dopamine hit. It is the reward after doing the big thing for someone else. And that's a comfort zone. And that gives us dopamine hits. So we're essentially dopamine and reward are very connected. And so what we need to realize is it's not just chasing food. It's chasing validation from others when we feel unworthy, because if we feel unworthy, we put it externally out there that it's okay. It's everyone else's responsibility to love me and validate me and tell me that I'm a good enough person. The problem though, with all of this is we spend so much time chasing reward and dopamine hits that then we disconnect and get so far outside of ourselves with our worth. And then we get upset because nothing's changing. My health isn't getting better. My hormones aren't balancing. I'm still in self-sabotaging behaviors. I'm still overbooked. I'm unhappy with my body. I don't feel good enough. We've got to 
start to recognize how much we are chasing reward and chasing bliss and pleasure responses. And that anything outside of us cannot fill our internal void that we're trying to fill with people, pleasing food, et cetera. And so this is why it's so important for us to reprioritize ourselves slowly and our needs, because truly the best validation is the validation you give yourself as you learn to love yourself. And then you're going to notice the people pleasing fall away and the need for validation from other people fall away and the need to use food and get a dopamine hit to fall away. It takes time to shift it. However, it's fully possible. And then guess what? The less stress your body experiences, like I was saying earlier, the more of the serotonin, the steady mood boosting hormone you produce. And that is the ultimate where we want to be. Because the more steady that is, the more grounded, content, happy, and you know, gratitude you have for your body and your life. And then you're not chasing the reward kind of addictive dopamine highs anymore. And it makes so much sense, doesn't it? And Mm. back to that internal work and, you know, creating that kind of calm and stability rather than the highs and the reward and the kind of fleeting Mm. moments of pleasure almost. Yeah. Yeah, You know, back to the inner work. And I know I sometimes say to my clients that, you know, you want the kind of external validation or the outer stuff to almost be like the icing on the cake, but you want your kind of inner cake to be solid, don't you? hundred percent. Yeah. You mm. want, it's like receive it as a gift, but I don't need it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's hard, isn't it? You know, I sort of think as a recovering oh, yeah. people pleaser myself, you know, letting go of that. I mean, of course, like now it's infinitely much more rewarding being in that calm, stable, inter- you know, in that internal place where you're validating yourself, but it can feel quite, you can feel quite at sea when you're letting go of that initially. Oh, a hundred percent. And it can feel very uncomfortable because the people pleasers biggest fear is, oh my gosh, what if they get upset? What if I create conflict? I don't want conflict. I don't like, you know, negative attention. Like I can't lose this person. Like I'm relying on them for validation and I don't want to let them down. Right. Because there's just this massive fear around that. And so that's why it's so important for us to realize that like the people who are really supportive and really care about us in the relationship are going to be very supportive and understanding. And if anyone does get upset or offended, then it's time, I think, to really start reevaluating relationships and, and contributions and what's being brought to the table. But we do it slowly, right? We don't go, okay, I'm going to go for the biggest uncomfortable boundary today to set, like maybe start with some smaller ones, like putting 15 minutes in your schedule for self-care and honoring, you know, that you pause and you do it when that time comes up and then pick away at the really big uncomfortable things as you build up your own, you know, confidence around starting to let go of the people pleasing, because we've got to get over the fears. It's like, we probably don't really have proof. And if you've gone through abandonment, then we really want to work through that because we don't want that past memory or experience to continue to direct you to the self-sabotaging behavior. Mm, yeah, no, so very true. So I want to ask you, Amber, as well, a little bit more about sort of the menstrual cycle and, you know, because I know it's quite a common thing, isn't it? You're talking as well about kind of low progesterone earlier and it's quite a common thing sometimes that people can lose their cycle mm-hmm. and then it can be quite hard to get it back even when they have perhaps weight restored and are sort of trying to do the sort of right things um, so you could just say a little bit more about that, really, in terms of like, I, I know it's quite an individual thing for each person and their body, but, you know, what can really help with that for anyone listening who perhaps has lost their menstrual cycle and is really feeling quite motivated to make some changes there? 
Yeah. And that's a great, great question. And I went through this too. And so have a lot of my clients, like I've had clients who haven't had their period for like five years and it's come back because we are really addressing all the root issues, not just a test and taking a supplement. Cause sometimes even with foods and tests, like people on instant gratification, okay, I'll do the testing. I'll get on the supplements. I'll eat the foods. But then if it doesn't change, they're frustrated. It's like, well, cause that's just one piece. We've got to be willing to look at, right. Mm-hmm. The mindset, the behaviors, the relationship with food, like all these other pieces. So essentially what I find the first step is obviously getting testing done to see how low the level is, because that will dictate potentially like with timing, maybe how long it's going to take to get to rebuild the progesterone and get it back. Then it also helps us to see, okay, what are all the things that are impacting the progesterone? Because the cortisol is one thing. Your thyroid also plays a role with this, but so does your gut health. So if we just do a progesterone test, but we don't look at all the other factors that are going on physically and emotionally, this is where, you know, maybe some of the women listening have been like, well, I've done a test. I've tried this. Nothing's changed. Well, have we looked at all the root issues though? Cause there's usually more than one factor. So I always say, you know, testing first and then reviewing it with someone that has a more holistically based mind, because like I said earlier, the normal range is far too big. And most will just say, oh yeah, you're fine. It's all good. Like celebrate not having a cycle. It's convenient. And I'm like, no, it's not convenient. Like it's a sign that our well-being is not in alignment if we don't have a regular cycle. So to me, it's like, there's certain foods we can integrate. There's certain supplements, but where I'm always hesitant to like give specific recommendations, unless I have the tests and the history right in front of me is because certain supplements and things that are great for boosting progesterone are not necessarily always the best if you have elevated estrogen or other imbalances. So this is where it gets really specific to the person, you know, and their imbalances that are going on. Cause I'll give you an example. So say you get your progesterone tested and you read that maca is really good for fertility. It's a herb and it's really good for boosting for fertility. But if you don't get your estrogen tested and your estrogen's through the roof, maca makes estrogen higher. So if you were to just test your progesterone and see that that's low and t- start taking maca, but don't look at the rest of your picture, you could by accidentally be giving yourself estrogen dominance. And that could cause a whole other array of things that you don't need to deal with. So this is where looking at the whole picture and getting testing done is really important. But from a standpoint of things that you can do to help, we need to regulate the nervous system. We need to regulate the cortisol. So you may want to make some adjustments with your movement routine. You definitely want to address your self-sabotage with food. You want to work on the people pleasing and bring more balance to your schedule, like getting enough sleep, hydration, eating regularly through the day to support your blood sugar. You may want to add in things like yams, which is the orange potato because they're rich in progesterone and that can help over time build it back up. So there's things that we can look at, but when we get really specific, it's really based on the person and how low the level are, because if someone's just slightly low, some foods in one supplement may do the trick, but if someone's literally got none, it may be like two or three, like two supplements in a natural yam cream derived from the yams. Plus, you know, making sure we're adding in a lot of foods and making sure your nervous system is well supported. And again, as things regulate back out, then you don't need the, you know, progesterone boosting supplement and, or to be so focused on it, because I find like, just like with me and my clients, 
these things do regulate and then we don't have to give them as much energy, but then it's nice to just check in on it once a year and make sure that it's staying in the same place. And obviously being aware of your cycle, like I said earlier, 28 to 36 days is beautiful. And then five to seven days of bleed. If your bleed is really short or your whole cycle is really short, well, then we, we want to be looking at what may be depleting these levels. Mm. Yeah. And I think what already comes across there as well is just how important it is to, you know, work with the individual and for people not to sort of self-diagnose or be perhaps taking random supplements without looking yeah. at the bigger picture, maybe, and having some advice on it. So important and ideally not do that. Cause they know now, like, and it's great that there's all these people out there, like right influencers and things. However, one of the issues I have with that is just because a person has a big following or they've read a book and have a blog doesn't necessarily mean that the supplements they're taking or what they're doing is going to work for you. So the individual approach with any of this kind of stuff, I always encourage because you don't want to accidentally hurt this stuff and make it worse and then be more upset. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So and one other thing I'm quite interested in as well is like, I guess, you know, it sounds like perhaps when you're seeing a client and they're having lots of these imbalances so you've already mentioned maybe there might be advice to take some supplements but also as well is there a bit of a sort of dietary overhaul in terms of looking at the foods they're eating and you know addressing that sort of nutritional side of things yeah so there's no specific diet that I follow because it's really individualized to each person Mm. and it really depends on what their relationship is with food however I try to add more things in that maybe they weren't eating as regularly so for example say with cortisol like we want to bring in more minerals more sea salts more electrolytes we want to make sure that you know with all hormones that people are eating enough healthy fats through the day because hormones are fatty like substances. And if we're not eating fat because we fear fat causes weight gain, which it doesn't not good fats that can actually deplete our hormone production. So it's really specific. So say another thing is like, okay, if your cortisol is really high, like there's certain nervous system calming T's versus if it's low, there's other things that we may want to add in to just slightly boost it up a little bit more. So it's really looking at depending on the imbalance, there's a few individualized foods teas, spices that can be added in to help boost it up. And then other ones that would be used to lower if something is a little bit more elevated. So it's really, you know, like I said, the food and supplement approach I'd say is maybe like 20%. It is really dealing with the people pleasing, the lack of boundaries, the overbook schedules, the guilt around not making yourself a priority, the ego, negative self-talk, the self-sabotage with food, the body image, negative self-talk. Like this to me is the biggest part because it's literally causing stress normally, like all day, every day. Cause this person is thinking about food and they're telling themselves that they can't eat this. And then they do. And then they get upset with themselves and then they get on the scale and they get upset with themselves. And then they're upset because they're overbooked. And that is causing pretty much a 24 seven fight or flight response. So that's why it's always about lifestyle change, mindset and habit change while we, you know, add in these beautiful you know, foods and things into the, your eating and add in, you know, a vitamin or two, that's going to really help you to see change with this because the most beautiful things that happens is when people start to make these changes and they go, Holy crap, my energy is so much better. My cravings are down. My PMS is going away. I'm like, my period just came and I didn't, that was it. Like I'm so used to having to hunker down for a few days and not being able to do much, right? Like when this change starts to happen, digestion improves, constipation goes away, bloating goes away. It is a liberating moment for these women because they're realizing how connected everything is. And, you know, that when they make these changes, like they have the power to heal 
that it's not outside of themselves. It's just that they haven't been educated and directed in the right way. So that's the beauty of it too, is when we start to feel better, you want to continue. You're so committed and motivated. And when you understand what's going on in your body, like that's really the key, you become more in tune and aware. And the more in tune and aware you are, you know, the more you're like, oh, I notice when I don't sleep well, like I feel like this and that fuels the all or nothing mentality more with food. And I notice if I'm dehydrated, I crave more sugar. And then if you can like prevent those things from happening as much as you can and see the change, you stick with it. Yeah. And it's so powerful. And just hearing you talk, it just makes me think this is the stuff we need to be teaching in school. Yes. Yes. How to to regulate your nervous system and how to really self-care, how to have these boundaries, how to do the breathing, how to ground yourself, how to regulate yourself and less Mm -hmm. being taught about how to strive and be perfect and push yourself and drive yourself. It's we could change society, couldn't we? If this stuff was really grounded early on in life. A hundred percent. And that's what I think we need to focus on as individuals is healing ourselves. Because if we all commit bit by bit to healing ourselves, the influence and impact it has on society is so significant. Yeah, absolutely. With you a hundred percent. So Amber, where can people find you if they want to know more about this amazing work you do? And do you have any sort of anything coming up you wanted to mention on the podcast? Yeah. So people can find me at amberapproved.ca. I have a free emotional eating quiz there. And I also have a opportunity that if someone wants to connect and talk about all these things in your world that you're struggling with, I offer a 30 minute body freedom call for 50 USD. And we can talk about what's going on and, you know, discuss if working together could be a good fit. I also have my podcast. It's the no sugar coding podcast, and it's available as well at amberapproved.ca and on all podcast apps. And I'm on Instagram and it's my name, Amber Romaniak, R-O-M-A-N-I-U. Of course, you can, you know, cruise around the website. There's all kinds of things there. I have a membership and I have all kinds of masterclasses and you can read more about me, but feel free to reach out if you have any questions or want to have a conversation because this stuff is complex and you deserve to really understand it on a deep level. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Amber. And I shall make sure that all those links are in the show notes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me again. It's been awesome. Yeah, well, thank you, you know, so much for coming back again. You know, I think there's just been such a wealth of information for the listeners and just really appreciate your time and for sharing. So thanks very much. My pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Do go and check out all of Amber's details in the show notes. So if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. So for those of you that don't realize, my old account was sadly hacked and I've set up this new account. So yeah, please follow me on my new account at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it really does help it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.